Thank you for joining us for another episode of CryptoCurrent. Just one quick reminder. CryptoCurrent is a cryptocurrency and blockchain education platform that's bridging the gap between the curious newcomers who are just discovering the space and the thought leaders who are shaping its future. All opinions expressed by Richard Carthon, the CryptoCurrent team, and their guests on this show are exclusively their own opinions. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Richard, the team, and their guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or to follow his financial advice. This show and any other cryptocurrency production is exclusively for informational purposes. going on cryptocurrent crew this is the aftershock your weekly episode of the biggest news going on in crypto and web3 right now i am your host steve miller the one and only and that's just because there is no other steve miller in the world i refuse to accept there's a joker a smoker or a midnight toker out there um but i of course am joined as always by my gracious and fantastic co-host richard carthon richard how are you doing doing good man um the crypto market is starting to boom a little bit, getting some hopium back out to the world. Uh, we have a market cap back above $2 trillion in climbing. And, you know, there is a lot of positives out there and a lot of dope news to cover this week. So excited to do that. And, you know, just as an aside, Silk Sonic is amazing. And just want to shout out that uh, got to go see that with a pretty special lady and a, you know, kind of cool friend and his special lady. So that was kind of dope. What about you? How are you? Um, I'm doing good, buddy. Like the um, the start of this show, I'm going on that musical theme because I happen to be that that um, decent buddy friend of yours. They went to see Silk Sonic, um, so I get a little bit of a kick out of it because I'm on, I'm still on a bit of a music trip right now. Um, for those that aren't aware or can't put my joke at the top of the show together, um, there is a band called the Steve Miller Band, and that's what I got from my uh, high school teachers and middle school teachers and all of my college teachers. It was always Steve Miller Band, but. We're not here to talk about music today, are we? We're here to talk about crypto. We're talk- here to talk about Web3. So um, quick reminder for those of you that are joining us on the podcast platform, we also release this show over on YouTube. And if you're watching us on YouTube, sup, glad you're here. But we also do this over on the podcast platforms. So if you listen to any of your favorite podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, even things like Overcast, you can get CryptoCurrent direct to you right then and there. So please make sure you're following us on podcast platforms, subscribing to us here on YouTube, and otherwise ready to jump into the news. First quick question top of the show today, Richard. Did you see this insanity from Elon Musk? I'm, no, I have not. Please fill me in. He's got this post out or like a poll out, essentially asking people for their opinion on what they think of Twitter. <laughs> They're... The entire underlying narrative is that he's considering making a decentralized Twitter that you'd be able to tip content creators in Dogecoin with. <laughs> oh my God. Oh man. A decentralized Twitter. So, ah, uh, you know what? He has the money to do it. If he wants to do it, he can go do it. I just wish that, you know, he could dedicate some of that money to solving some real problems in our world. But, 
what are you going to do? We're just going to go to Mars. Um, let's jump into the show, shall we? Uh, we have Buy, Seller, Hoddle to top off the show where we get into the lightning round stories that are affecting the world of Web3. This is Buy, Seller, Hoddle. Buy, sell, or hodl. So in Buy, Seller, Hoddle, we break down whether we think the news is bullish, bearish, or just something you need to wait and figure out what's going to go on with next. This week in the lightning round, we got a lot of great stories top of the show. Um, our very first one comes from Robinhood. So Robinhood has announced that they are going to be replacing the debit card they have built into their app with a cash card that offers crypto rewards to its users. So this is an interesting story because within the Robinhood world, it was typical that like you had all of your assets custodied through Robinhood. They then made this announcement that they were going to allow for self-custody of your crypto. Now they're trying to kind of pull you back into custody. It's a back and forth that we're going to continue to see with Robinhood and a lot of the centralized players out there that are trying to find their way into crypto, but an interesting story nonetheless. Richard, why don't you take the next one? So Crypto.com is named an official sponsor of the next FIFA World Cup in Qatar. Now, I'm pumped about this. Uh, Crypto.com out here saying they will not be outdone by FTX or any of these other players, Ituro, any of these. They're saying we came to play and this is a huge one. So shout out to Crypto.com for landing that sponsorship. Good Lord. Yeah, that's an absolute beast of a marketing move for them. Um, I can I can attest to the fact that I've only ever watched FIFA soccer. Um, actually, a little bit of BPL, but still mostly FIFA soccer. And I think the majority of the world watches that World Cup whenever it comes up. Um, so to say that we're going to see Crypto.com's logo up in the primary advertising, it's a big, big deal. Um, now, quick question. When playing FIFA, what team did you always play with? Oh, man. I played with uh, Portugal because I got to play with the greatest player of all time, of course. Man. Ronaldo. You and I are going to have this one out one day. <laughs> I know we are. Um, so this is not a gaming show until we get into the metaverse segment. So I'll leave it there. Um, our next news story that we're going to jump into is Avalanche, who has announced that they're officially going to be um, adding native support for Bitcoin. This is a really big move because this is one of the first ecosystems that's adding support for Bitcoin in a way that is not wrapped. Um, if you are not familiar with what wrapping is, it's basically the process of um, creating a collateralized asset that is collateralized against Bitcoin, but it is showing as a token on a specific platform. I am not perfectly up on the call it the science or even the computer science of how they're doing this. But it's really interesting to me that they're trying to add a new way to represent Bitcoin on an ecosystem layer. Um, so that's pretty cool to me. But talk to me about this piece about Coinbase Ventures. So Coinbase Ventures just uh, led a successful token launch for Shapeshift DAO, um, which was covered in last Friday's episode by uh, the man, the myth, the legend himself, Mr. Steve Miller. Uh, if you have not heard that episode, definitely go check it out. Um, really, really awesome interview. I mean, what what they're doing at Shapeshift is just incredible. They they are literally 
being industry leaders in what it means to represent Adele back when they first turned. They were one of the first organizations in the world to turn their actual company into a decentralized autonomous organization. They've been building off of it since then, and they have a ton of other things on the way. But uh, really awesome news here. Yeah, and I also love the fact that we've now had both of their founders or two of the lead founders within their organization on our show. Um, of course, Richard interviewed Eric Voorhees back in July, just before they launched the Fox token, which is representative of the DAO. And then, of course, last Friday, got the chance to speak to John Shapeshift himself. Um, so I'm very, very stoked on what they're doing. I'm glad to see that you know they're still um, paving a way forward. But that success token is really the focal point, right? It's something completely novel. All right. You had, um, I believe it was UMA that pioneered the actual premise behind a success token. But for those that have not seen the episode, just to give you a little teaser, a success token is essentially a DAO mechanism to do a venture round so that a DAO, despite not being a centralized organization, can raise venture funding for additional development. It's pretty interesting to me. I certainly think that you'll enjoy it at home. Please make sure you go check out that episode when you get a chance either on YouTube or I believe it would probably be two episodes ago once this episode is released. So give that a look. But the next piece of news, again, has Coinbase in the name. That'll be a theme here for the next four, the next two stories. Um, Coinbase Cloud has officially added Avalanche development tools. This is a really big deal because it's the third ecosystem that they're officially supporting. So you now have support for Avalanche development, Solana development, and of course, Ethereum development. Richard, if it's my take, I think that you're going to see two more added this year. And if they're not already on there and I'm just missing it, but I have a feeling that we're going to see Cardano added very, very, very soon if it's not already there. And then probably Algorand. Do you have any other takes on that? Two other ones that they'd probably consider would be uh, Dot and Cosmos. Oh, yeah. No, it's a really good point. Dot's going to be making a lot of moves here shortly. And um, I'm hearing a lot more about Cosmos in the background right now. So um, for those at home that are curious about what is popping, those ecosystems are going to continue to get added to Coinbase Cloud. You can bet on that. Why don't you take the next Coinbase-related story? So Coinbase is rolling out Cardano, aka ADA, staking with 3.75 APY. So now, if you are just sitting on your HODL bag of Cardano as it has been an absolute roller coaster over the last year, and now you just want to make some APY with letting it sit, Coinbase is giving you that luxury. Yeah. And it's a pretty cool thing because honestly, being able to stake is uh, a big benefit. I was staking Cosmos over there for a while before I sold all of it. Um, and then, of course, uh, this is a big move for ADA holders, but it's also worth noting that you can go and stake it elsewhere for considerably higher yield right now. So keep that in the back of your head. Our last piece of Coinbase-related news, because again, that seems to be the dominating factor in, the, in uh, this week's lightning round, Coinbase has officially listed Mina Protocol. In my opinion, Richard, this is the biggest piece of news this week because it's the final ecosystem that Coinbase really needed to add. That's pretty much like what they needed to do in order to move forward in listing tokens from different networks outside of Ethereum. That's yeah. why you're starting to see Solana um, tokens pop up on the exchange. That's why they're adding the Avalanche development kit to the Coinbase cloud. 
because they eventually want to be able to offer different avalanche tokens. So just what is your read on it? Do you think that we're going to start seeing additional tokens from other networks keep popping on or am I missing one and we need to see another network get added? Coinbase is trying to eliminate the need for DEXs. So DEXs are decentralized exchanges. And typically you have to go on there to be on a major one, which typically is the Ethereum ecosystem. And then... Uh, get to some of these tokens and then even have bridges that go into these other ecosystem on other DEXs to then trade into those tokens, so on and so forth. If you can just go directly to the ecosystem and buy those tokens, you cut out the middleman, aka in this case, DEXs. So Coinbase is strategically trying to cut them out. And I think that they have the resources and the strategy to get that done. It's going to take time, but this does nothing but help the end user who can just immediately go to buy tokens. There's been so many tokens that I've wanted to get and having to do a lot of transactions in and out to get there. And now I can save costs and go more direct. I think that's a big win. For the longest time, I've been really critical of centralized exchanges. I don't like centralization. I don't like not custodying your own assets. But I have to admit that with all the fees that come with multi-hopping, and all of the complication and almost like these feelings of insecurity that you have to deal with when you're bridging and you're just kind of mm-hmm. hoping that it just ends up like on the other side. Yep. It really does seem to me that like these platforms like Coinbase actually may win out because they're going to take away so much of the personal risk from this entire discussion. So th- I don't know if they're going to really kill DEXs because I think there's going to be enough people out there that's going to sustain it especially because like people are going to want to still farm liquidity and still farm an APY from being a liquidity provider. Yeah. But I can see what you're saying on that. Yeah. But let's jump. One let's, quick thing. Before yeah. you do that, I do want to go back and add one more on the list of places that will probably add more development tools. Polygon Matic. I feel like that's going to be another big contender. I think that they actually already have it. Uh, so I, I may be wrong on that one, but that that was... When I'm talking about like the big ones that are already on the um, Coinbase um, cloud, I'm referring to like at, like outside networks because mm-hmm. Polygon's layer two. I'm ninety yeah. percent positive that they're already supporting uh, Polygon development. So we'll see, but that's just from what I believe is already there. So we'll see. Uh, let's jump into last week in the metaverse, our lightning round through what's going on in NFTs and metaverse gaming and the like. Our first story comes, of course, courtesy of Yuga Labs. It's not like we haven't talked about them in the last three weeks. Um, <laughs> we have officially gotten word that they have completed a $450 million raise courtesy of Andreessen Horowitz that has officially given Yuga Labs a $4 billion valuation. This is only one arm of what is going on within the Board Ape world, as you may know. Um, we covered it on our ApeCoin special a couple of episodes ago. Yuga Labs is officially separate from ApeCoin. It's separate from the Ape Foundation. And it's separate from ApeCoin in general. So Richard, do you think that we're going to see this just kind of continue to balloon? Or are people going to finally recognize the fact that not all this value is wrapped up in Yuga? They're going to figure it out. But there's just way too much momentum in this space for them not to keep succeeding. Um, But I also just want to point out that Yuga Labs has been around for what a year, as far as like as it relates to the the ape 
industry. I, I think you, I think the first apes were, were minted right around a year ago. So the fact that you have something worth almost $4 billion in a year, it's just insane. I'm pretty sure it's the fastest company to ever achieve 4X unicorn status. Yeah. Which is wild. You and I have worked in startups for a while. That is just ridiculous. Um, Absolutely so, insane. Yeah, that'll, that'll blow minds for years and years to come. Um, let's jump into a sadder story now because I hate, you know, I love to just damper a mood. If you're familiar with Vivi, Vivi is the official NFT platform that has been issuing um, centralized NFTs for Disney, Marvel, and all of their properties. They have a platform that is their NFT marketplace where they sell what they, they call gems. And apparently, over the course of the last week or so, millions of these gems were stolen off of the marketplace. Vivi has since shut down the entire marketplace and has told all users that their assets are frozen until they can actually get to the bottom of what the heck happened. Not a good look. Not a good look. Not a good look at all. Tell me a little bit about Time Magazine as I stutter through the next line. <laughs> so Time Magazine's release, released its uh, first magazine as an NFT. Um, of course, you look on it and who's on there? It looks like a bored ape and a, a child looking up at this NFT. But again, uh, pretty special that they are releasing a magazine that is doubling as an NFT. Yeah, so this was actually in partnership with Lit. Um, so Lit Network is like the token that's trying to be one of the cultural tokens in the metaverse right now. And it was a really well done drop. I really like the magazine. And this is actually not the cover of the magazine. The cover of the magazine is actually Vitalik. Um, <laughs> nice. And it, it actually details an interview with him where he goes into his current view of the entire ecosystem. So if you're interested in hearing Vitalik's take, I recommend check that out. Our next piece is going to be huge if you're a massive fan of the world of Final Fantasy or Kingdom Hearts. Square Enix, the developer behind those games, has officially announced that they are a launch partner for the official NFT marketplace of Japanese messaging app Line. If you're familiar with Line, it's because they are one of the biggest messaging apps in the world. They are based out of Japan, but they have users literally worldwide. Um, they are definitely a WhatsApp competitor. And considering the fact that you've got WhatsApp and WeChat both pretty much banning NFTs, Line is going to cement themselves as an absolute player in this world if they continue down the path that they are. They also have other launch partners right now, uh, I believe within the manga world and another massive entertainment partner um, from Japan. So it should be really interesting to see what happens there. Um, but Richard, I know you're a big Kingdom Hearts fan as I am Huge as well. Fan. Yes. Um, so do you think that this is going to be big and are you going to be buying their NFTs? Massive. I'm all in. <laughs> I think this could be great. Can't wait. I was talking to somebody about it last week. And I think it was on our Twitter space. By the way, um, you know, friendly plug there. If you would like to come and join us for our Twitter spaces, we host a weekly Twitter space called NF Thursdays, Thursdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on Twitter. Um, we were talking about it, and I am pretty sure that it would be the coolest thing in the world if you could like collect Kingdom Keys. Oh just my like gosh, the, different, yes. the different variations of it and just kind yes. of get the chance to like run around the metaverse with your personal Kingdom Key. I'm saying, man, say less where you can like really bring your like, have that be an NFT, attach it to your avatar and go to these different worlds. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm excited for the metaverse, VR, 
all the different things that come with this. This is going to be just amazing. It's going to be lit. So let's jump into the next one. Um, Richard, I know that you're not totally familiar with this one, so I want to go ahead and jump in front of it. Um, I know you've heard of Minecraft, correct? Yes. It's pretty hard to miss it. It's the only block-based game that you know children under the, under the age of 10 play nine to 10 days out of you know 10 days. <laughs> there is another platform and product that is kind of directly tied to Minecraft right now within the metaverse. It's called NFT Worlds. NFT Worlds um, rolled out their own land in these small plots, I want to say about two months ago. And they just announced this week that they're officially going to be rolling out NFT Worlds avatars, which look quite a lot like the avatars that you'd find in Minecraft. But of course, it's going to be a limited capacity of them. There are only going to be a certain number of them. And you're going to be able to also purchase equipable items and participate in an in-game marketplace that will be operating off of their token world, that is W-R-L-D. I think it's really interesting for children, but that's just my take. Um, do you have any thoughts on it? Nope. Otherwise, I mean, Minecraft is one of the largest games ever. And uh, the fact that they're translating it over to an NFT space, I mean, I, I think it's going to have a, a solid chance to be successful. And look, I mean, the sandbox really is the only metaverse that is quote unquote playable right now. So, I mean, look, they have they have an advantage in that. You can go into Decentraland. It's not it's not playable. Like you can go run around and look at things. That's it. So to me, it's like, okay, maybe NFT worlds will have some bigger advantage here soon, but who's to really say? I'm personally still of the mind that Wilder World is going to come out on top. But that's just my take. <laughs> Why don't you talk to me about these uh, these serial ruggers? Oh man, so serial NFT ruggers, um, and again, ruggers are people who rug pull. They go and take all your money very quickly, um, depending on what you're doing, whether it's a crypto project or an NFT. In this case, it was an NFT. Uh, Ethan Nguyen and Andre uh, Lacuna arrested for $1.1 million in frauds. Uh, so if you are familiar with uh, the Frosties and Embers NFT project, uh, they rugged. Now, um, Steve was telling me a very interesting story about basically how the lead person exposed himself. So we want to speak on that. So I don't want to get too deep into it because I'm not, I'm not going to be able to quote it verbatim, but like there was apparently like some message string that they had with one of the former community managers for Frosties. And I think it was, I mean, I, I have to imagine it was Ethan was messaging him and saying like, hey, like, you're one of the people that like really was out there for us. Like, I just want you to know, like we really did, like we did, weren't planning on any additional development. Um, so like, I want you to hear it from us. And just so that you know, like, I really appreciate you. You know, I feel like we've grown close through this entire rug pull. And I would like to just like show you a little bit of a kindness. So like, know that go to your wallet. Like I've sent you some ETH. <laughs> it's basically his way of saying, I want you to be an accessory to fraud. Would you like to chill? Like, it's so stupid. Dumb. To me, this is a big, big moment. Because this is the first real material case that we've seen of pretty substantial um, significance in the space where you have people actually arrested for a rug pull, right? This is technically wire fraud. 
And in a lot of ways, like, I mean, this, it's only this way because they actually said that they had a roadmap. They showed a roadmap. They made promises. They're not delivering against that product. They closed down the Discord. There's no way for them to be held accountable to their stuff. So the determination of whether or not they actually get a guilty charge um, or if they plead guilty for wire fraud, we'll see what actually comes of it. But I got to say, like, and it's unfortunate, I think there's a world where they actually get off. Mm. Well, time will tell. And uh, uh, I hope for the sake of everyone who unfortunately lost their money on Frosty's Dippers that they uh, get some justice. But uh, we will see. Um, leading to our final article of the week, uh, Gitpop launched to incentivize dev participation and uh, POAP. Um, and I know that Steve, you are very familiar and use POAPs. Uh, shout out to Steve has done multiple of them. If you are part of the NFT Thursdays, you can get some that Steve has created th- through cryptocurrency uh, that you can claim yourself. Uh, he was also kind enough to create some for uh, very memorable moments of my own personal life. So shout out to Steve for that. But Steve, I'll let you talk more about this one. I think it's interesting. I mean, I, I don't. I'm not necessarily going to say like this is the biggest news in the metaverse this week. Is I mean, it's really hard to beat that Square Enix news. Um, it's just interesting to me because there are more people that are validating POAP's existence, right? POAP stands for proof of actual participation, just for everybody that's listening. It's basically trying to be the, think, think how you like bookmark websites, right? You want to make sure you hold on to them for later. They're trying to be the bookmarks of your life. They want you to be able to see the things that you've participated in. So, for example, what Richard was talking about, I made a PO app because it's a peer-to-peer thing. You can just go make one right now. And the PO app that I made was to commemorate his bachelor party. So I made the thing, made some codes, and it made it really easy for everybody who attended to redeem it. And now they have this cool little NFT of, of a custom poker chip in their wallet in the PO app app. So they can go view it and read the description and just be able to, I guess, commemorate the moment and go back and, you know, relive the memories, if you will. GitPoApp is doing something super different here just because like, look, they're, they're trying to make sure that developers are being seen for their participation. And I think that for all of the log tickets that I've seen in the time that we've, you know, worked in different software projects over time, like, I mean, developers don't get a lot of credit even just for like the little milestones, right? It's yeah. all about the end product that they ship. So to me, I think this is a really cool move. Um, but I think it's a, a lot bigger of a story for POAP being broadly accepted. Um, but let's jump into what this show really is about. It's not necessarily about us taking our time through a, what's supposed to be a lightning round of news. Um, let's talk about the Aftershock, the biggest story rocking the world of Web3 in the last week. The Aftershock. So our big thing in the world of Web3 this week is that we are officially T-2 months to ETH 2.0. Now, for those that are not aware, ETH 2.0 is this big upgrade coming to Ethereum. A lot of people say it's not going to make the deadline. A lot of people say that it's not going to work. But this past week, we got a big validation point saying that the merge like on a testnet actually worked. 
So this piece of news comes out. Now everybody's asking some really big questions. So the first question we're going to answer right now, do our Aftershock show a little bit differently this week. Richard, what is the merge and how will it change ETH? So the merge is taking, going from proof of work, which is what the layer one currently is, um, which where you do like crypto mining and everything else to validate everything that's going on and converting it over into proof, uh, proof of stake, where you basically you have the Ethereum, you stake it to a node and it's validating that the Ethereum is there and proving out the, the network so they can all speak to each other. So the merge is taking proof of stake, proof of work, putting them together on the same block and then letting it continue into perpetuity. But to do that is extremely hard. And that really is the easiest way to say it. That is what the merge is. It is the official moment where you have two of, I'm going to smack my mic too hard. You have two chains that are running side by side. You have the proof of work chain and you have the proof of stake chain. They're just kind of mirroring each other right now, making sure that everything's in tandem. The merge is where they'll officially touch and move only on from there on into proof of stake. Now, how will ETH change is the really big question here. Because what people don't realize is that the mining process and getting rid of how many ETH are actually mined every single day and moving over to a proof of stake mechanism, there's a lot of technical shit in the background that actually has to get changed. So the big thing is, is that the actual output is now going to be a lot lower while we still have this significant burn mechanism in place from EIP-1559, which we talked about a lot throughout last year. So altogether, they're saying that this is not going to have the effect of one happening, not two happenings, but three happenings all at once. So this could, in theory, again, and this is if the economics stack up and if the world, you know, doesn't decide to fall into all-out war, we could theoretically see the, the value of the Ethereum that's on the market going up very fast because that means the burn rate of Ethereum is going to outpace the newly minted Ethereum by an insane rate as compared to how it has been. So is there anything else that you'd like to touch on there? Or do you want to carry into our next question? Um, just to, for everyone who's not necessarily familiar with happening events. So uh, they typically happen um, every so often. So for example, in Bitcoin, they happen every four years. And basically the rewards for proof of work get cut in half. So uh, I believe uh, Bitcoin used to be uh, 12.5 and now it is 6.25. And then the next happening, it'll go down to another half to three point, whatever that is. So one, and it two, just five. keeps one, two, five. There you go. And then it just keeps happening over and over and over again until the very last Bitcoin is mined in 2140. So uh, in Ethereum, so every time that has happened historically in Bitcoin, even Ethereum, you when a happening event happens, typically your price doubles um, because it has to keep up. The supply and demand, demand just got cut in half. So therefore your price to get where uh, the way the economics work, it should double to offset where it currently was and then find uh, its new threshold as it is climbing up. So if you were to potentially 3x ETH right now at current prices at around, at the time of this recording, around uh, over 3,000, uh, we're looking at a nine to 10,000 ETH potentially. 
if this were to successfully go off um, with all of the economics still lining up. Yeah, so I'm not exactly sure that it's a direct price correlation in 3x, but I believe it's like the um, I think it's like the volatility. I think it was the volatility index that gets multiplied against. Mm-hmm. And that again, like the the impact over time is that again, it should provide more price stability at a higher price tier. But in the short term, that's why you could see spikes of 3x in a very short period of time. But it also implies that you could see that type of negative price crash in equivalence. So you just have to be aware of both sides. So the next big question that we have is, okay, as I was joking about at the very beginning, will Ethereum's developers hit the deadline? That's been the question all along because technically Ethereum 2.0 was promised when? I believe Years in two, 2016, 17? And I think it was actually 2019, but that's still two, three years ago, right? Arguably five years ago, right? Yeah. So it feels a little silly to be sitting here and asking, okay, will they, will they really hit the deadline? But I really do think this time they're going to. Um, the fact that they actually proved that the merge would work on the Kintsugi test net leads me to believe that they've validated this thing to a T. And I think it's going to go off without a hitch. Now, does that mean that there are other parts of the, of the ETH 2.0 upgrade that need to take place after the fact? Yes. This is not the end of like the ETH 2.0 transition. You still need to implement sharding. You still need to implement a couple of other smaller improvements to really optimize the network for speed. Do you think they're going to hit the deadline? No. I really want them to, and I really hope they will because I'm a big ETH believer, and I, I think it is an amazing blockchain platform. However, the issue you have is when you already... They have so many things built on top of it, right? There's there's a lot of layer twos. There's a lot of dApps. There's a lot of blockchains within its blockchain that they're basically having to make sure with their proof of stake line up perfectly with the proof of work. And yes, on the test set, it worked. That was one time. I'm sure they're doing it over and over again, trying to make sure that it can they can keep replicating it over and over again. But I, this is a a huge challenge that they're trying to do and it's it's almost cyclical right they like if you go back in time almost every may or june they basically say eth 2.0 will be solved and then there's a delay and then there's a delay and then oh we promise it next year and like it's just it's like an ongoing um boy who cried wolf and i'm optimistic i am hopeful everything that they're saying publicly leads to like giving confidence that it could actually hit the deadline but you can only cry wolf so many times. Um, I would I would just love for them to just do it. Um, I, I hope they hit their deadline. I don't think they will. Yeah, so Vitalik, take a note out of Nike's playbook. Just do it. Our next question is, what does ETH 2.0 mean for other ecosystems, not of? Um, when you look at other ecosystems and what are considered the ETH killers, I think that the ultimate determination of when ETH 2.0 is out is going to start to sit, like 
basically say the end of the ETH killer narrative. Now, based on what you were saying, you don't think that they're going to hit the deadline. I happen to think that they are going to hit the deadline. Not only do I think they're going to hit the deadline, I also think that they're going to likely do it pretty much in the same time window as a whole bunch of other really, really big news, which we've been projecting for months. And I made this call back during our predictions episode right at the new year. I personally think that if ETH 2.0 follows through and the merge is successful and they move on to getting sharding done across the next six months, we're going to start to see people finally acknowledging the fact that we don't need ETH killers. We need ETH partners. We need more of these networks to decide that they should be working in tandem and collaborating, not competing. So you see on the, on the screen right now, if you're joining us on YouTube, that there are four other networks represented. You have Polkadot, you have Avalanche, you have Cardano, and you have Solana. Only two of them are multi-chain. Mm-hmm. Only two of them are interoperable. I think that that's because they see the bigger picture. If ETH and ADA and Solana can stop, you know, having their sword fight, so to speak, I think we're going to see a better Web3 for it. But what do you think? So the biggest challenge when you look at what does ETH 2.0 solve, Ethereum layer one right now is very slow. And because of it, it jams up and you have gas wars. Um, I believe uh, today, even as an example, for, for, for the last like couple of weeks, you could finally do like ETH gas transactions for anywhere for like 15 to 30 bucks. Uh, at one point, Steve, I think you saw what, $1,800 today for gas? Um, it was $1,800, gui, but I don't want to talk about it. So. People aren't going to keep doing that. That's just not acceptable. And the only reason these other layer ones have been able to come up and start to participate is when you only have to spend pennies or less than pennies to do transactions, to test, to build, to experiment on on things. And you're telling me on ETH, I have to spend a potential ton of money just to test, just to build something out to then bring to the world. There is a timetable on ETH to get this figured out. And so what ETH 2.0 in my head, you eliminate that challenge. Now you can do gas transactions for pennies or potentially less than a penny to do most transactions on the most powerful blockchain that's out there as far as ecosystem, as far as other things that are already built on top of it, decentralized apps, everything else. I think that it could cause the need for newer layer ones, the newest ones that are coming out trying to be competitors to kind of like fade away. I think that the ones that are kind of in this space, I think there's never just going to be one ecosystem. But I do think it starts to eliminate the needs for newer layer ones that are trying to come and compete. But for the ones that have come in the space, let's call it in the last, you know, four to in four years or less, um, and have, have kind of built some ecosystem, I think they can still stick around. I think they still solve really big um, challenges. And like you said, with having multi-chain inter- and being interoperable, playing nice with each other, I think ETH will eventually figure it out. But I don't think it eliminates the need for some of these other layer ones. But I do think if ETH 2.0 comes out, the newer layer one solutions are in big trouble. I would agree um, for the most part. I think that there's still going to be room for innovation into the future. I think that Newer layer ones are naturally going to continue to come along, but they have a much bigger uphill battle to fight 
than any of these current ones that are like currently being regarded as ETH killers. So the final question that we've got to talk about this week has to do with if ETH 2.0 is successful, will that be what actually flips it when it comes to Bitcoin? Will it flip Bitcoin if ultimately the merge is successful and the rest of ETH 2.0 rolls out successfully? Richard, I want you to take the lead on this one. Absolutely. Happy to take it. Um, yes. Um, I'm putting an exclamation mark next to it. Yes. Because at that point, to use the system, the biggest challenge, the hurdle, is that ETH has become so expensive that you, I don't say you have to be rich, but basically have to have a significant amount of money to utilize it. Um, it's not for everybody. ETH 2.0 makes it accessible to everybody, the masses, everyone. So one of the main reasons, if you think about Coinbase and why they really started looking at Solana, Avalanche, and some of these others, is because of how expensive ETH was. They were losing money. Like for them to send money for, because all these people were trying to go off to these DEXs and go to these off-chain whatever, and they were having to front the gas fees for a long time, they were losing money. If, if that was never the problem, they probably wouldn't have been exploring some of these other places. So, so to get back to flipping Bitcoin, with allowing more tokens, dApps, and everything else to keep flowing into the entire market cap, which again exceeded over $2 trillion, uh, recently, if more of that money comes in and starts flowing into some of these um, altcoins, alternatives to Bitcoin, and that's on that Ethereum ecosystem, it's going to keep uplifting the price of Ethereum. And again, um, because the uh, happening events of, of basically 3x of what ETH 2.0 potentially brings to the market, which means the price should appreciate to that level as well, and more money flows to it, I don't think it's immediate. I think it's a slow build grind up, but it's the first step to really start money flowing and seeing um, the dominance. So Bitcoin dominance is the highest of all the coins compared to the entire market. And it's around like 42% right now. And ETH is around like 18%. I think you start to see Bitcoin dominance start to go down and ETH dominance start to slowly climb and eventually flip it until you see the market capitalization over, overtake. And I think if ETH 2.0 comes out this June, um, it flips in the next two to three years. I think that's a pretty... Good prediction. I think the next two years it'll happen. I don't know if the flip is going to be because of ETH 2.0 though. I think that even if ETH 2.0 weren't successful, I still think ETH is going to flip Bitcoin. My rationale is this, and it's really simple. Look at all of the building. You hear people say all the time, now is the time to build. I'm in build mode. I don't hear anybody building a metaverse on Bitcoin. I don't hear anybody deploying DeFi on Bitcoin. I don't hear anybody creating NFTs on Bitcoin. There's so much utility wrapped up in these ecosystem plays but people are still so new to this game and we are still so early that most investors don't get that the utility is in the ecosystems. It's not in the coins. It's not in these assets that are strictly meant to be stores of value. I think that Bitcoin long-term still has a place, but I don't think it's at number one. I don't think it's at number two. I think that we're going to see 
a couple of these ecosystems really win out here shortly because they're going to have stacked so much value and they're going to have so much utility. I would be keeping that in mind, especially if we start moving into a bear market, because my move in the next bear market is going to be stacking up ecosystem L1s and L0s like you wouldn't believe. I plan on having massive, massive moon bags of the majority of these big ecosystems because they're the right bet long term. Of course, you can follow Michael Saylor to the grave, right? He's going to tell you all day long. It's like owning land in New York City before there were all these skyscrapers and shit. Like, Fine, Michael, we get it. You've got all of the Bitcoin. But you need to understand, like, there's people all around the world that need oil. They need commodities. They need individual assets. You're going to get that through Ethereum. You're going to get that through Cardano. You're going to get that through Solana. You're going to get that through Avalanche. You're not going to get that through Bitcoin. You want to be able to move borderless and really stay self-sovereign in your wealth, Bitcoin's your guy. But I'm telling you right now, I think the flip comes. I think it comes in the next two to three years. I agree with you, but I'm not necessarily sure that it's going to be dependent on ETH 2.0. But I, think, but I think that's going to wrap up our aftershock for this week. So before we go, Richard, tell us a little bit about who you're talking to this week on our interview series. Absolutely. So we've had um, another amazing interview um, that came out on Monday. I talked to Dan Edelbeck with um, the VPN Exidio. Uh, it's really cool. You basically can go and be able to uh, use a true decentralized VPN. Uh, fortunately, a lot of unfortunately, a lot of VPNs that are out there, even though they help you to you know user services, etc., they still can be collecting data on you in the background and do whatever they want with that data. Um, or if it's requested, um, they could potentially do something with it. But having a truly decentralized VPN service, um, they're not able to do that. So uh, it's, it's another cool way to be able to innovate and, and use that. So fun conversation. Uh, highly recommend you check that out. And then Friday, uh, we have uh, Yubo Run with uh, Bridging DeFi to a billion people within Parallel Finance. Parallel Finance, this, this dude is so so talented and cool. Uh, the story is amazing. It's a young guy, um, I believe early 20s, who had his own startup, went out to um, San Fran area, uh, was able to exit, did really well, and then like went to, um, I think, Berkeley out there, then dropped out, then started another startup, and then went back, did something else, basically started Parallel Finances, now has like six over $500 million in total value locked. It's an amazing story, amazing dude, and an amazing product. And they've done all this in like 10 months. So definitely go check him out as well. That's wild. So again, for those at home, please remember, we've got brand new interviews rolling out Mondays and Fridays. Of course, you've got this show, The Aftershock, every Wednesday here on CryptoCurrent. All of these are syndicated through YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, all of your favorite podcast platforms. But we also offer two other fantastic sources of content. We have our Crypto Decrypted series with Chris K, formerly Crypto Basics, where we take you through a really basic understanding of individual concepts in crypto. But we also have our Twitter spaces every Thursday, non-fungible Thursdays, that is, at 7 p.m. Eastern time, only on Twitter spaces. We hope you'll join us for all of that and more in the future. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Aftershock. But until then, we hope that you have a great week. Stay fresh and stay cryptocurrent. We'll see you next time.